I liken this to the guy of, are you a NASCAR fan? I, I'm not, but okay. I, 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 am. I think of this um, because I've been to some NASCAR races <laughs> and I think about the crew chief, right? Okay. And think about the crew chief as being the same thing as that, you know, master ERP implementer. And that crew chief is standing in there, he's watching cars come by, right? At like, you know, hundreds of miles an hour. And somebody that has never done that standing next to him is standing there going, ooh, fast, right? <laughs> in the meantime, what's the crew chief going? The crew chief is thinking, oh my gosh, that one, that car there is having trouble in a turn because the left mm -hmm. rear tire, I think, is probably bald. That next tire there, we need to adjust, you know, the angle of the, you know, of the front end so it's mm -hmm. tighter on the thing. This next one over here seems to be, you know, running rich on, you know, on the gas oxygen. There's all these things that that person recognizes that you, you and I don't see, right? And they right. recognize those things automatically. So clearly the RFP process is broken. Um, the it, sales process is broken. Yeah, and, and it doesn't get you, as the end user, you don't get the benefit of the discernment of the people who actually know what they're looking at. We are back with another episode of the Cold Star Project, the podcast about the unexpected challenges of scaling. And look, we want you to be able to put your finger on where the problem is in your manufacturing operation. If you're bringing in stuff and popping out end products, <laughs> this is the thing you want to be listening to. So my guest today is Peter Jekyll, president and founder of a company called Turn On Dynamics. And what we're gonna be talking about today is ERP software and the sales of ERP software. And for those who do not know enterprise resource planning, uh, what that is, Peter, maybe, welcome to the show, first of all. Um, could, could you give them a, a quick 10 second, you know, uh, definition of what ERP is? Well, when I started in this industry, it was accounting software mm -hmm. and, um, when they needed to make more money, they changed it to ERP software so they could charge more. So ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning. And, you know, uh, from the days when accounting was, you know, general ledger, accounts payables, accounts receivables, now an enterprise application can have everything from your inventory, all your supply chain, even things like, um, you know, HR, payroll. So... Uh, ERP now has become a huge suite of products, uh, you know, as a platform. Right. Now, Peter, you started out at uh, Price Waterhouse, one of the big four at the time. Um, no, sir. No? I thought I read that. It was a big eight when I was there. Uh, okay, big eight. Okay. I thought I was wrong about the Price Waterhouse thing. No, that's <laughs> <a big laughs> But it was not... Pricewaterhouse Coopers. I did notice that. <laughs> yeah, so it hadn't done that yet. Uh, and and that so that was one of the big professional services firm back in the day, uh, where you could go get this kind of uh, high level accounting software and and thinking and that kind of uh, service. Um, you, your your degree is in industrial engineering and operations research, so that that I understand that implicitly with my operations management background. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be. I think this is going to be a pretty neat conversation. Uh, back in the day, this thing, this software used to be called MRP, um, Manufacturing Resource Planning or Material Requirements right. Planning, and then they changed it to MRP2. So this idea of like sales and sales 2.0 and whatnot, and like there being some kind of magic uh, iteration, it's been around a long time. And that is just, as you said, kind of a marketing tool, right? We want to charge more money for it. Sure. Uh, but the scope is expanding of what this software is taking on. Now, Peter and I have had uh, a little chat back and forth uh, before we got on, and uh, I've also had a chance to see a couple of blog articles that he's written. And the neat thing is, all the stuff that I've been saying about software as a service sales, about how people are too reliant on features and benefits and they don't really know how to sell, they don't understand sales, is true in the ERP field as well. Same stuff. Uh, there's a, there was a phrase that I just loved out of uh, what you said in, in one of your articles, Peter. It was, uh, I'll bet, I can almost guarantee no bad ERP implementation had a bad demo. Could you expand on that for us a little bit and tell us what that means? Sure, I'll take it back a, a step. Um, yeah. You know, we're talking about manufacturing um, software here and um, you know, as a subset of the ERP software market, um, it is my, uh, it's my contention that after all these years in this business, that if you take three very simple criteria for success 
um, in regards to implementation, um, on time, on budget, and delivering promised functionality. Pretty reasonable uh, metrics, right? It's my contention that there has never been a successful implementation in the history of ERP software. So that includes every manufacturing, you know, every uh, manufacturing implementation. And when I first started having those uh, evil thoughts and standing up in front of, uh, you know, audiences and, and some of the speaking engagements I've had, the first time, you know, the first couple of times I threw that out there, I was a little bit worried about the backlash and, um, the, uh, the reality of it was that there never was any, because if you look at those three, all of the software is always sold at a level of expectation and a increasing level of frenzy during the sales process that none of this can ever live up to, you know, the expectations, what happened during that sales process. And, um, you know, that sales process often includes that, uh, you know, what we call a scripted demo, right? Mm -hmm. And in my experience, sometimes the brightest and smartest people um, at a software company or a services company um, uh, work in a sales department, you know, the pre-sales guys and the people putting together the demos. And if you give somebody enough time and a list of things that are critical to you and you have that, you know, demonstration, that sales demo, well, that thing's going to make, um, you know, make all of your requirements sing and dance, right? And they're going to focus on the things that they do well, and they're going to brush things under the, you know, under the table that they don't do well. Or they're just going to fake that they do stuff, mm -hmm. right? not before. So that whole demo process, um, I guarantee you that, you know, if you take a look at, um, you know, if you take a look at these implementations that are either failed, uh, which is just outright, you know, everybody gets their money back or wishes they had their money back versus uh, challenged, um, I guarantee every one of those had a beautiful demo that everybody was, you know, clapping each other on the back for. But that's the, that's the key, you know, the, uh, the difference between what you see in a demo and what you have to do with the software on a daily basis. Right. And, and, to be fair, we see this all over the place, too. If you go into the video game industry, they'll have demos at, at product release, like, look, we're doing this thing, and they'll release this, uh, again, very scripted video with wonderful animation to a cheering crowd of, of like a stadium filled with people, right? And then when the actual game comes out, surprise, surprise, it's full of bugs, right? right. And, and we need to fix things, so... It, it is it is just a rampant thing. And as you said, if you give people a target to shoot at, hey, they'll probably hit the target, right? You know, they'll, they'll, they'll make a, a presentation that meets those requirements. But what about everything else? Um, another area that we see this uh, sort of pressure-filled frenzy, as you, as you talked about, uh, um, regarding features is in the CRM world. Same kind of thing. Look at all this wonderful stuff it does, and then when you actually get it, it doesn't work. Right. Let's go back to a more fundamental question, Peter. When and how large uh, of, a, of a manufacturing operation does a company need to be before it should be considering ERP software? You know, that's an interesting question, and I'm going to um, I'm going to look at it a little bit differently, um, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question um, in a roundabout fashion because I don't think it's a simple answer. the um, The real issue is not how big are they. The real issue is what information do they have at their fingertips to be able to implement, right? So uh, if you take a look at uh, any uh, manufacturing uh, software, you're typically gonna have a combination of some basic ingredients that are needed to make that manufacturing uh, portion of the software work. So the first thing is your bill of materials. And, you know, um, you know, if you're, if you're a manufacturer, then hopefully a bill of materials is, you know, a pretty uh, straightforward concept. And typically speaking is most manufacturing companies will have a pretty decent bill of materials. And so that is a great starting point. Uh, some exceptions are back in the old days, um, you know, people would put things like uh, work information and uh, labor information into their bill of materials, in which case it's useless. And you, uh, or their bill of materials is so complex 
that you have to fire the engineering department. But most companies have a bill of materials. And based on that uh, bill of materials, you can get a ton of quote unquote manufacturing functionality that I can get back to in a bit uh, accomplished in with a very uh, little bit of work. The problem comes in is that any kind of work order or manufacturing order to get anything built on the shop floor requires the marriage of a bill of material with a bill of uh, work or a routing, which is the actual work steps that you have to take to build something. Mm -hmm. Now the bill of material is science. It's pretty much here it is. You know, if this is what you're building, here's what the bill of material looks like. Um, you know, there's some subtle variances that you can put into, you know, uh, taking a solid object or, you know, whatever it is that you're building and creating the build, build material, but they're not going to vary much, right? The, the science comes in on what steps do you capture in the workflow, right? Uh, what work centers, what machines, what people, et cetera. So that's part art and part science. The part that's difficult is that whereas most companies have all the information that they need, or they actually have strong, good existing bills of materials, almost no small to mid-sized manufacturing companies have the information that's needed to actually run a routing through a modern manufacturing piece of software. And the reason for that is, is that in order for any of these routings to work, you have to identify machines, you have to identify machine centers, you have to figure out setup times, run times, all of this kind of information that uh, companies do not have at their fingertips. So um, when you go into the, you know, the discussion of all the things that this fantastic manufacturing software can do from, for you, all the things like scheduling, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, capacity planning, all of those things go out the window unless you have that detailed information on the shop floor that allows you to set up a routing. The problem is that most companies don't have that information. They don't have the wherewithal to gather it. They don't have the time. They don't have the money. They don't have the energy. They don't have the knowledge to gather it and then keep it running on a, on a you know, going forward basis. So uh, in the sales process, everybody talks about all this fantastic thing, all this fantastic stuff you can do with this manufacturing software if you're General Motors, right? But in reality, most companies, and this is where I had a great deal of success in that, you know, smaller to medium size and, you know, some pretty uh, big size manufacturing companies is taking a focus on all the things that you can accomplish as a manufacturer, if you have a great bill of materials and along with that bill of materials, what you do is you keep your inventory uh, balances accurate mm -hmm. by, you know, doing things on a, you know, consistent, um, you know, basis and making sure that all your inventory movements are, uh, uh, you know, tracked on a timely basis. <laughs> that with a bill of material will get you an incredible amount of information that you normally don't have access to as a small and medium sized manufacturer. It takes about 20% of the effort to get all this information that you don't have today. Uh, you, you know, if you're not automated on the floor, the problem comes in is that it takes 80% effort to get that last 20 <laughs> and most people will never get there because like I said, they don't have the information. They don't have the time. They don't have the money. They don't have the wherewithal. Um, you know, to expend that energy to uh, get that last piece. And so there's this complete disconnect in what you see in the sales process of all this wonderful stuff that happens and what happens in reality, right? You know, it's my, uh, the example that I relate that to is, um, you know, driving in my car lately and I heard a, uh, I heard a, a radio commercial by a uh, you know major ERP vendor that won't be uh, named here uh, NetSuite, uh, talking about the um, you know the ability to now run their company off of their phone, right? <laughs> and the vision that creates from the executive you know stepping out of their limousine you know and seeing some you know red flashing light and being able to jump into that telephone and make some kind of an adjustment and on the shop floor, you know, one line of machines shuts down and the other one starts running, right? 
the, uh, the amount of effort and the data required to make that work is, is incredible, right? And there's a handful of companies that have the discipline and the ability to pull something like that off. But that's what we're sold. And from there on, we get the disappointment and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the poor results that unfortunately are par for our industry. All right. That yeah. mental... <laughs> that mental picture that you brought up of, of the executive just being able to get onto their phone and, and make some kind of super change. Yeah, that's ridiculous. See, and, and the scary thing is, Peter, and for our audience, I studied this stuff 20 years ago, and the problems are still the same. Exactly. They, they have not been fixed. The idea of MRP2, which was the thing at the time, and they were beginning to move towards ERP, started seeing that, that phrase come out more uh, than MRP2, was you would have your bill of materials, you would understand your lead times, right, and, and some of your capacity planning, and you would build up into assemblies, right, of, of parts, right, build material into assemblies, the assemblies go into the finished product, and then I can backflow out to what should I buy from my suppliers when, right? And, and the big thing at the time was just-in-time manufacturing. So we were seriously indoctrinated with this idea of JIT and Kanban and, and just having all the stuff show up at the right time in the exact moment. And, and this stuff, if you have the discipline and the data and all that, as you pointed out, most companies never get there. You right. could feed this information into your ERP software and it would issue a blizzard of work orders out over the, the factory floor. Right. Here's the problem, people. <laughs> the managers didn't trust it. The shop floors, people didn't buy it, and they didn't follow the instructions. So what was the point? Right. Every, every manager went, mm, I need 10 of these things. Um, the system says I should have 11 in inventory. I'm going to order 15. And it's, it's okay. I'm just adding on a few to make sure that my department is safe. Now, the problem is everybody does that. And suddenly you've got a huge carrying cost in your inventory <laughs> caused by all these people just adding on a little bit more. So when you have no discipline to follow the work order and, and everybody trying to change the numbers and tweak them a little bit for their own advantage, supposedly, it, it affects the financial health of the company, the throughput. and I have seen examples of uh, just uh, companies with systems. They have them. They bought them. They paid for them. They're in place, and they don't use them. And the manufacturing manager would turn things on and turn things off, and setup time is probably your number one time constraint. Would you agree? Setting up? No? Interesting. There's a kind of a joke in our industry that, um, you know, when you mention companies with, um, you know, systems actually not running them. Um, yep. The joke in our industry is that ERP stands for Excel runs production. <laughs> because, you know, you have these fancy systems that nobody can populate the data to get meaningful uh, information from, mm-hmm. information anybody trusts. So everybody retreats to their offline spreadsheets. Right and big chief tablets and, you know, tribal knowledge. And that's what ends up uh, running the floor. And it's because it's what they know, what they trust, what they're familiar with. And uh, it may not be as effective as it could be, but it's uh, kind of like what's the best exercise, the one that you will do, and this is what they will use. So uh, with with setup time for machines, say you got to rejig something, uh, being the number one time suck, uh, that means the operating time to produce the parts is, is actually relatively short. I've seen managers stop, start, and it's stuttering all the time um, because they are managing by desperation, right? They've got to produce this thing, mm-hmm. and then they stop, and then they've got to produce this other thing and whatnot. And so there's no, there's no sense to it, and they're not looking at the thing holistically. It's which, a cost that few people realize. Mm-hmm. Few people, you know, recognize the amount of time and effort that takes into, you know, setting up a line to run one product versus another mm-hmm. and what those changeovers, you know, to make smaller runs or to make runs in a, in a bad order. Um, very few people have the, uh, you know, the wherewithal to see into the production shop and see how that affects production. Yeah. 
I, I think that's definitely a can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing because they're so stuck in the emotional turmoil of, oh my gosh, this person's breathing down the owner's neck, right? right? And they're coming down to me and saying, Jason, you got you to gotta get this stuff out today for me, right? And, yeah. and even though maybe I know better, I, I feel like I have no choice. One of the interesting things, I just was talking to one of my, um, uh, somebody that I know um, in a manu- pretty decent sized manufacturing company, and um, they have this thing where every month they try to hit a number, right, of uh, shipments, right? And at the, every, at the end of every month, production makes this hockey stick, right, where uh, production is kind of flat throughout the month. And then at the, at the end of the month, they have all kinds of – they have a huge rush to get stuff out the door to make the monthly number. And so shipments have this hockey stick effect, right? Mm. Um, but two things happen is um, in order to make the number for the month – Uh, the sales guys start pushing special pricing at the end of the month and you have uh, overtime to Mm -hmm. build stuff and ship stuff. And sometimes you have expediting costs, um, you know, both on getting stuff in on time and shipping it. And it's that same repetitive process at the end, at the end of every month. If everybody would just relax and take a beating for one month, Mm. shipments even out, then all of a sudden what happens is that, Everybody's buying the same amount of stuff, but if you're not pressuring them at the end of the month, you don't have that sales discounting, you don't mm-hmm. have the extra production costs, you don't have the extra shipping costs. <clears throat> All of a sudden, you make more money. Right. And it's a simple thing that, you know, you, you take it in the shorts for one or two months, but nobody's willing to do it. Right. And the weird thing is, I don't think you're actually losing any money overall because the, the hockey stick sort of... I don't know what, yeah, like your profitability is getting sucked out of those orders anyway, because you right. didn't charge as much as you should have for it. And the cost of goods sold is it's massive, high. right? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> makes sense to me. But when you're in the situation, I can totally see how you get the blinders on and tunnel vision and feel like there's no escape. So here's a question then, Peter, are, are ERP systems any good? I mean, can they, can they ever be used to, to get the data? and get the results that they promise or is it all just kind of a big scam? Well, I would say a big scam is, you know, is a bit of a reach, but the things that I have seen um, in the time that I have been in this business, um, it's interesting is I think the basic underlying um, functionality hasn't changed much. Um, What, what really has changed is technology, right? And so uh, a lot of technology from my standpoint uh, has been counterproductive to the software because um, if you think about ERP software, accounting software, it's, it requires the input of a lot of transactions, right? Mm-hmm. And the introduction of the windows and the mouse slowed that down so that hmm. high speed, you know, productive data entry was not helped by Windows, it's not helped by the mouse, right? So right there, immediately you have a, um, you know, you've got a productivity suck. Then the next thing is, who thinks that, uh, you know, fast, easy to install, easy to maintain, easy to keep up and running, browser-based software is a genius idea, right? I mean, the idea of being in the cloud was around forever. And you had a mainframe piece of software delivering, you know, code to us, you know, you know, you're doing uh, data entry on a, on a dumb terminal, right? That was extremely fast and efficient. Mm. And those things never went down. But now, you know, the cost of keeping a, you know, keeping a system that's cloud-based up and running, is, it's, it's unbelievably uh, complex getting software installed, getting it, you know, keeping it up and running. So you've got this, um, you know, you've got this problem you've always had where you have uh, functions and features that are oversold to companies that don't have the basic data to keep them up and running. And then you clobber all that stuff with excess t- uh, technology. And at the end of the day, what you have is you have systems that are more expensive to buy, more expensive to implement, harder to upgrade, uh, harder to keep running. So it almost seems like, it seems that way. It seems like this is becoming increasingly harder and more, and more costly to keep up and running. To give you an idea, one of the things that hit me like a ton of bricks over this past year is that um, when, when I started in this industry, 
um, when we did implementations, these implementations were owned by the business, right? The business guys, the manufacturing guys, production guys, those were the guys who were out buying this stuff. They were the guys that were implementing this stuff, right? And the IT department, right, uh, consisted of a couple of young guys that you go, hey, hey, I need a new monitor, and they would buy you a new monitor, right? Now, the technology has become so complex that almost every single major ERP project that I have run in, I can't remember how long, I can't remember how long, is run by the IT department. And the users, right, the business, mm -hmm. so you think about it, the IT department used to support the business, right? Now you get into a situation where the IT, where the IT department runs these, runs these projects, runs the show, and the business guys are sitting back going, oh, please, may we, can we please have this new system? And if you have the time, can you help us with it? It's a completely, uh, it's a completely you know, turned upside down world. And so with the fact that we've always had more functionality in this software than most people can consume, uh, salespeople that are, you know, the sales cycles on these things are brutal, right? And so the cost of these sales is unbelievable. So you get these cycles of having to be more and more aggressive and more creative in what, you know, what you tell people. And then the fact that this technology has become increasingly complex. And yeah, it seems like, it, it seems like all of this stuff has become worse and worse and worse. But if you go to the, you know, if you look at the websites and you go to the trade shows or you go to the annual shows for all these software vendors, it's the greatest stuff ever. It's never, it's never a real disconnect. A completely, huh. a complete disconnect uh, between the actual experience of the poor user. You know, the poor guy that's down in the, you know, in the, in the furnace room shoveling coal into the furnace. And the guy that's sitting at the top of the organization, right, that's bellowing into that little microphone, more coal, right? Right. <laughs> There's a complete disconnect between those folks. So what can companies do? By the way, let's give people a, a mental picture here. What is a typical range for a project like this to buy it and, and implement it? Well, um, you know, I've, I've done everything in my career from the, you know, um, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollar projects to the, you know, millions of dollars projects. And I've taken over projects um, where people were burning through half a million a month hmm. and where people had had, you know, uh, double digits in uh, failed goal lives. And I've, um, you know, been on projects where, uh, you know, companies have spent, had spent tens of millions of dollars without any success and come in and you know pull the stuff out of the out of the trench so i've worked on a wide range of projects um you know small mom and pop startups to big uh, you know fortune 500 and fortune 500 subsidiaries so i've got a pretty wide experience uh, curve there you think that there needs to be like a culture shift obviously you think and i agree with you that the the people buying these systems need to change right that the tech people should not be buying these things well the major stakeholders they shouldn't be uh, the major stakeholders well how and my question is how do you change that because this stuff <clears throat> has become so complex from a technology mm -hmm. standpoint that um you know the business they can't accomplish it they can't accomplish it without major input right or the it folks running the show and the software people are smart they sell this stuff to the executive who's neither, you know, the guy shoveling the coal into the furnace right. every day or the, and they're not the guys that are in the IT department, right? They're the guys that buy off on the vision of, Oh, I, I can do this on my cell phone. Right. And then, okay, everybody run, run off and do that. Right. Um, it's a, it's an interesting vicious cycle because I always tell people to Google um, how to implement an ERP system and you get millions of, uh, you know, you get millions of hits and everybody's got their list of, you know, top 10, top five, top 12, top seven, you know, <laughs> a critical, uh, you know, uh, how to, uh, you know, install, uh, you know, how to install your ERP system. And then you Google ERP failure, right? And you literally have billion dollar ERP implementation failures, right? 
And as like one of my favorite comedians used to say, what the heck were they doing? Trying to build a space program? I, I think it's true for, for just about all tech um, projects too, that implementation fails. It's, it's, we're not just limited to ERP here. Um, I, I've done some study on that topic for, uh, for a book that I've been planning to write and it's not good. It's like 70% or more <laughs> of, of IT projects fail and we're failing before they started really because of certain factors, lack of buy-in and, and incorrect uh, ideas, right, on, uh, on what we were going to achieve, wrong performance measures, how do we know we succeeded. Do you, where does Turn On Dynamics come in then, Peter? Where, where does your company come in? Is it on the education side of things? I know you have a point of view about requests for proposals, RFPs that maybe we should dig into. <laughs> well, uh, I figured out a long time ago that, uh, you know, the uh, request for, you know, failed, you know, for failed projects, uh, as I like to call my request for proposals, is, um, you know, the thing is that proposals are lists, right? And I'd make the analogy of uh, a request for a proposal to, um, um, you're building a new house, right? And so you go to your family members and say, give me a list of all the things that you want in the new house, right? And your wife will have a list, and your kids will have a list, and you'll have a list, right? And you give that to uh, you give that list to an architect, and twenty architects will come back with twenty different plans, right? And so a request for a proposal is similarly similar to that. It's a list, and but uh, companies don't run on lists; they run on process, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes those processes are remnants of bad ways of doing things for years and years and years and years. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so those lists are, you know, you know, those lists are densely occupied with stuff like, you know, that has no relevance to, um, you know, best business practices and worse, there's things there, you know, they have requests like, uh, the software is easy to use. Right. Well, ours is, <laughs> yeah, ours isn't. So let me say no on that one. Right. I, it's funny because um, uh, I had a I had a consultant one time that I asked to look at a proposal, uh, and I he asked me, "Should I fill this out honestly, or should I fill this out so that we get to the second step of the evaluation phase?" Well, what do you think every single sales department in every single software house is doing with that RFP? They're answering it in such a fashion so that they get to the next level, right? And they're not digging into the, you know, the actual requirements, of, mm -hmm. you know, of the software. To me, um, if you're an industry expert and you have, uh, you know, you have years and years and years of uh, experience doing this, I liken this to the guy of, are you a NASCAR fan? I, I'm not, but okay. I, I, I am. This, I think of this um, because I've been to some NASCAR races and I think about the crew chief, right? And think about the crew chief as being the same thing as that, you know, master ERP implementer. And that crew chief is standing there, he's watching cars come by, right? At like, you know, hundreds of miles an hour. And somebody that has never done that standing next to him is standing there going, ooh, fast, right? In the meantime, what's the crew chief going? The crew chief is thinking, Oh my gosh, that one, that car there is having trouble in a turn because the left mm -hmm. rear tire, I think, is probably bald. That next tire there, we need to adjust, you know, the angle of the, you know, of the front end so it's mm -hmm. tighter on the thing. This next one over here seems to be, you know, running rich on, you know, on the gas oxygen. There's all these things that that person recognizes that you, you and I don't see, right? And they right. recognize things automatically. But... Um, while you and I would go to the, you know, go, go to that NASCAR race and listen to what that guy has to say, everybody that's looking at ERP software looks at a guy like me that's been doing this for 30 years and they know stuff better than me. Not only do they know it better than me, they know it far better than me. And, you know, some of that is the byproduct of the fact that, you know, people have had the wool pulled over their eyes so many times in the sales process that they innately distrust the sales process. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, have had these implementations where the implementation teams came in after the sales guys and the implementation guys said, they promised you what? 
you know, they, you've had all of these bad experiences that even if you have this, even if you have this innate knowledge where you can come in and size up a company and forget all the, you know, forget all the noise, drill right into the problem. Hey, your problem is, is that your, you know, oxygen to fuel uh, ratio is too low or whatever that is. You don't have that same level. You know, you don't have that same level of uh, regard for people that actually know what they're talking about. And so a lot of these evaluations, a lot of these purchasing, uh, you know, a lot of these buying decisions get made on uh, price at the end of the day. Mm because uh, everybody tells a good story and uh, you know, customers look at this stuff as a uh, you know, commodity and it becomes a price war at the end. And then um, you know, these things are expensive and hard to install and you have this vicious cycle on the implementation side. Um, where we, so on my side, I've been in almost every single business model in this industry. Um, I've been a small partner, been a big partner. I've sold a partner firm. I've been part of big national firm, et cetera. And I see all the fundamental underlying problems that the single guys, you know, the single, you know, one, one man band has in the industry today. And the big, what I call the big important partners, right? Uh, I see all of the underlying problems that they have with delivering good implementations. And the big partners are, are horribly, uh, you know, they get themselves in a horrible situation to deliver uh, excellent service. And I, I could talk about that for hours. So what I decided to do was forget the office, forget the, you know, receptionist, forget the copier, right? Forget the phone system and band together with a group of folks that I've worked with forever that are crew chiefs, right? And we go out into projects and, you know, occasionally what we will do is we will do brand new implementations, word of mouth, uh, because I'm not getting into the competitive sales process. Um, not interested uh, in, uh, you know, going through that exercise. Or we do a lot of uh, failed or, or challenged projects. Um, and the industry is rife with those. So there is that you know, partners that get medals at award shows at the end of the year. And what those do is they feed this entire second and third level of partners that have worked forever cleaning stuff up. So I'm in that industry, but not a single guy. I have uh, the ability to bring big groups, big uh, implementation teams, just like a big partner, except that my guys are all you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the business and they don't go anywhere because they're not hopping from one job to another. Mm -hmm. They're not juniors. There's nobody sitting on the bench. I'm not forced to put anybody, you know, in there that doesn't know what they're doing. Mm. So it's a completely different business model and one I enjoy. So clearly the RFP process is broken. Um, the sales it, process is broken. Yeah, and, and it doesn't, get you as the end user, you don't get the benefit of the discernment of the people who actually know what they're looking at. I really like the, the example of the crew chief, right? Of ooh, fast versus here's that specific thing. Um, so it sounds to me like there is room for some, some education on the front end um, for folks who are looking to buy. Uh, I would change things up totally. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the education, there's endless education. Let, let me ask you a question. All right. Think about this, right? The, um, how this software runs on a daily basis is not in the demo, but it's in that sausage making behind the scenes, right? What do you actually have to do to set things up, right? What, are, what has to happen on a daily basis to make this stuff work, right? And how smart are the guys from the company uh, that you're hiring to actually make this stuff work, all right? Think about this sales process, okay? Um, you should very easily be able to identify two, three, you know, on the outside, maybe four products that make logical sense for your uh, industry, for, you know, the size of business you are, right? Um, you know, if you're a multi-billion dollar company, you're not looking at QuickBooks, right? If you're a mom and pop, you're not looking at SAP, you're not looking at Oracle, right? So. Right. 
it's pretty, it should be pretty easy to, um, you know, get that first brush, uh, you know, here's what we need to do. Now, you identify what your critical business processes and business needs are, right? And then you say, okay, I've got these two, three, four, whatever number of companies that I want to consider. Bring in your two best guys, okay? Bring them in with a blank system, and I'm going to have all you guys together in a big conference room, and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna put a problem up on the board, and we want you guys to solve it and show us how you do it in your software. And let the best company, let the smartest guys over, you know, will rise to the top in a very short period of time. Let's see the sausage making. What goes yeah. into the sausage? <laughs> completely, completely different. Shorter, compact, right? Less BS. Uh, everybody learns a lot more. You know, that, and, but this, like, like I said, that's just one example of how I would, uh, you know, try to change stuff up. Uh, I'm not sure the education... I'm not sure there's enough, uh, I'm not sure there's enough education to, because there's so much stuff out there that people are following that's just, you know, that definition insanity deal mm -hmm. where everybody keeps doing the same thing. Yeah. So. Well, I guess that's an opportunity to look, sound, feel quite different than, uh, than the herd out there. I, I, I really like, you pointed out earlier, and you just said it again, that the key processes, identifying the key processes for your organization and, and like, what you talked about would identify very quickly, can the customer or the prospective customer actually get the data necessary to feed the sausage making, right, of the ERP? Yeah. If they can't shovel the coal because there's no coal to be found when they go looking for it, right, where's that data? Where's that data on lead times and, and the bill of materials and all that stuff? If they didn't have that, right, it would mm -hmm. become instantly apparent and then the ERP company can say, well, we can't help you right now. Right. Come, come back when you, when you got that, it. Uh, under, but, that, under that kind of realistic trial by fire scenario, everybody's going to learn a whole lot about, you know, these are guys I can work with. These are guys I can't work with. These guys have no clue what they're doing. Mm -hmm. you know, the software they're just pushing. Better yeah. suited for something else. And, you know, that, that whole process, you know, what, a couple of days or a week instead of the you know, ridiculous vendor Olympics that people mm -hmm. are going through with the RFPs, the, the demos and everybody's asleep and nobody remembers. Right. Yeah. I mean, as a buyer, what would you rather have a custom solution that, that is clearly able to be working with your, your existing processes or a demo that's on rails specifically uh -huh. to, to show off certain things um, that end up not being the reality of what, your business actually does. Uh, the bit that you said about the hangovers in processes from stuff that Mary did it this way five years ago and Mary's no longer with the company, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? And that making its way into the list of requirements. How, how common is that? You know, I figured this out early in my career when uh, one, of the, one of the requirements I had was um, a print drivers, and this is funny, this goes back in the day when, uh, when software, uh, one of the, one of the uh, evaluation techniques was what print drivers your software supported because, you know, different printers needed different print drivers, right? And uh, one of the requirements of this was this odd printer, and I, you know, I questioned, I said, I've never heard of this printer, what's, what's up with this? And they said, well, it's uh, the, the only uh, one that we were able to find that does this heavy-duty deal where it uh, actually uh, is strong enough to print through seven copy forms, right? So there's feeding through seven copies, right? A paper that literally has seven copies. And so it, it has to be strong enough, you know, impactful enough so that seventh, uh, that seventh uh, you know, form in that, mm -hmm. uh, that's a holy mackerel. And, you know, I've seen, you know, two and three forms and, you know, you put one in the cabinet and you put one over here, goes to the customer. Right. Know, what the hell are they doing with seven copies, right? So I said, let's go take a look at that because, um, you know, this is unique. I've never seen this before. And so we went down to the lady that was running these forms and I said, hey, you got this printer and you got this thing. You show me what's going on. Where are you putting all this stuff? And so she prints some stuff up 
and then she separates it into three and four. The four go into the garbage because that was a pain in the ass, right? And the three on the top, you know, one went to this file, one went to that file, one went out to the customer. Nobody ever went and asked mm-hmm. why they needed seven, right? They were throwing out four on a, you know, and it was, it was amazing. And so the thing I find is that every organization is special. <laughs> every organization is special. And um, they take great pride in the fact that they're special. And sometimes it's that pride in being special that uh, does not allow them, you know, to take a look and say, you know, what are best practices? Um, the other thing that we find a lot of times is you find those individuals that have grown up with the business and they've made this great career where they started off, you know, maybe they started off on the shop floor. Um, you know, they were, um, you know, somebody on the receiving dock, right. And they've made it all the way up to the VP of, you know, manufacturing, right. And all they've seen in their life is that business and how they did things there. That's wonderful. And that's, uh, you know, a tremendous success, personal success story. Um, the problem it creates is you haven't been out in the industry, seen how other companies do things, um, you know, see how things, um, you know, work in different organizations. And so you haven't been able to bring in new thoughts and ideas. And so those are, you know, those are classic issues that you bring to the table. And without that ability to go in there and, and push back really hard, right? Think about this for a second. These deals are so hard to come by, right? And they're so competitive in the sales process. It's so expensive to sell these deals, to find the deals, to sell them, right? When you finally get them, are you going to stand up to the owner mm-hmm. or one and of say, the, the VPs? Don't do it say, this way. Yeah. yeah, dude, this is crazy, right? Um, very few people have that. Um, very few people have that ability to push back. The um, the great position of being able to do uh, turnaround projects or going and be, being able to help people where you know the the projects in the ditch is oftentimes they're much more receptive mm-hmm. to uh, oh yeah right that makes sense now you know because we've seen all this right. bad stuff. Um, you know one of my other favorite sayings is that. Uh, Nobody ever has the budget to do things right, but everybody's got barrels of cash to do it over, right? So, um, you know, up front, they'll fight you tooth and, you know, tooth and nail on doing things the correct way. But then when things, you know, slide into the ditch, then there's um, an unbelievable amount of money for, uh, you know, fixing it. So it's ironic. Right. So glad to hear you say these things. Uh, my business is centered around process improvement, process engineering. And for me to just jump up and down and say, look at all the stupid stuff that's happening out there. Right. Crazy stuff is one thing, but to hear other people say it is just great. Uh, and I hope our listeners take that to heart, that there is silly stuff like that. Uh, four copies getting thrown away in the garbage and nobody ever stopping to ask, why do we need seven? Uh, stuff like that is going on all the time. And, yeah. uh, and just and that's a trivial organization. example, you know, that's obviously a trivial, a trivial example, but there are major business processes, you know, yeah. that are um, much more expensive that, you know, companies keep with them forever and want to carry forward uh, to a new implementation, you know, because they want to do it the old special way. All right. So, Peter, let's wind up. Obviously, if people are interested in, uh, in getting or fixing an ERP uh, implementation, they should come to you. They should have the mindset of maybe I should listen to this guy because he can discern what's actually going on. <laughs> How best can they reach you? Well, uh, now I do want to say one thing is mm-hmm. uh, we are very uh, specifically focused in the Microsoft world. And Microsoft has uh, th- uh, four flavors of uh, software and the, um, what they consider their, uh, you know, their Cadillac or their, you know, high, high level solution, uh, which is um, uh, this Dynamics AX or now D365. Um, we focus on that product. So we're not generalists. We're very specifically focused in that market. So I find that, um, you know, it is, it has become brutally difficult 
um, you know, to have an understanding of all the functionality and all the technology uh, on a single product line. So we don't try to dilute that with, uh, you know, general, uh, you know, a bunch of general stuff. Uh, I mean, in my career, I've worked with a whole bunch of products, but that's where we are now. And um, is this where I plug myself? This is where I yeah, go ahead. That's what I want you to do. <laughs> Tell people who's a fit for you and, uh, and how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, so Turn On Dynamics, I thought was fabulous. It was a fabulous name because, uh, you know, it's uh, Microsoft Dynamics, uh, mm. you know, when we turn it on. But then somebody mentioned to me that, uh, you know, we shorten it to TOD. And uh, TOD uh, in the medical field is time of death. Mm. And so I thought that was unfortunate. But the easiest way to find us is uh, I've shortened the, uh, I've got a short URL, what, TOD365, because the, uh, the new uh, Microsoft software is D365. So turn TOD for turn on dynamics and then 365 gets you to my webpage, um, you know, easy contact information there. My blog's got some more lunatic, ra ra you know, ranting and raving about the industry. And, um, you know, love to talk to anybody that, uh, you know, either wants to just talk, uh, you know, generic implementations or, you know, the RFP process, the sales process, or, um, you know, specifically the Microsoft Dynamics line. Right. And uh, I have a funny feeling you will not be pushing that product on all comers. Oh, God, no. Uh, <laughs> no. And you're, you're better off, uh, you know, sending somebody else, you know, somebody down the road uh, if they're not a good fit and, um, you know, trying to shove the wrong. That, that's another issue, right? Right. Is if you have a hammer, then the whole world looks like a nail, right? But, right. Awesome. Well, Peter, I, I'd love to have you back. Uh, uh, we could focus on another topic in this, in this field, uh, but uh, it's been a great conversation today, and I think people will get a lot out of it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm just hoping that my uh, voice built for uh, writing and my face <laughs> built for radio doesn't uh, cause me any problems, doesn't cause you any problems on your YouTube channel. No, I think we'll be good. My guest today has been Peter Jekyll, president and founder of Turn On Dynamics. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jason. Bye-bye.